your Bibles to the book of Philippians, as Cassie mentioned, well, Tammy mentioned it as well. One of the things I had asked our team to do is to be reading the book of Philippians before and especially during our mission trip. I didn't tell them exactly why I wanted them to do that. I just, I, I just asked them, read it every day. And I was so encouraged along the way. I would see in the midst of busyness going on, and when you have 17 people staying in one house, it gets a little busy. It gets a little hectic. And yet, there would be somebody valiantly sitting on the couch, journal open, Philippians open, trying to read and the distractions. And then I would see that decision, that willful choice to get up and leave the group and what's happening and head off to a quieter place because they were going to follow through. They were going to read God's word. They were going to spend time with him, helping, allowing God to help them understand, interpret those things that they were experiencing in the midst of our trip together. The book of Philippians is a book of of Christ. It's a book where we see Christ in our life, lived and seen. Christ is an example of humanity, what humanity is meant to be, what humanity is supposed to be. See that lived out in perfection, how to live as truly human, distinct from all creation, the very image of God. Christ's sacrifice for others is our goal, to join in his suffering, to know him to step into following Christ, not merely that we might be good, that we might do what we're supposed to do, but in stepping into following Christ there, we know him. We know him in experience and not just in understanding. We'll find that knowing Christ, Christ himself is enough, that Christ is sufficient above all else. He is what I need. Philippians is a book about choices. It's a book about decisions. What should I do in the midst of this choice or that, option A or option B? I don't know which to choose. Paul demonstrates that and he gives us some principles as to how to make those kind of decisions. It's a book that speaks to achievement and acceptance. How can I know that I have been successful? What measure would I use to know that my life has mattered? Philippians is a book about conflict, conflict between believer and how to resolve it. Philippians asks me if I ever will have enough. This is a book that is deeply theological. Perhaps more than one of that, that passage I read earlier about, the, about Christ taking on humanity, emptying himself of his divine prerogative. That's one of the deepest theological passages in all the New Testament, the, to grasp the depth of what is being said there, uh, deity and humanity. And yet at the same time, it's deeply theo- theological in the experience level as well. Where is God in the midst of my time of need? Where is God in the midst of my trouble? At the same time, it's a book that is warmly devotional. There is a kinship, there is a friendship between Paul and these Philippians that seems different than most of the other churches that he writes to. It's a book that is explicitly practical. It tells us clearly, specifically, things we should do. It's a book that is uncomfortably applicational. 
uncomfortably applicational. I don't like the implications of this, but there it is. And I can't squirm out of it. Most importantly, this book is foundationally missional. This is one of the reasons I wanted, well, all of those were the reasons I wanted our team to read it. Those are reasons I would love for you to devote some time, maybe the next week, maybe the week after, to give yourself to repeat, reading through a day at a time, day by day, reading through the book of Philippians. Give some time for this truth to soak into you, and it will impact you. It'll change you in ways that I haven't planned or engineered. I'm confident of the power of God's word. If you'll do that, I'm, <clears throat> I'm confident. I was confident to ask our team to do that, that I knew that would, but we would bump into stuff together. We couldn't help it. We started with a red-eye flight. So there we were, staring blankly, somewhat um, um, irritatedly at each other on Saturday afternoon. And the week ahead surely must generate some opportunities for testing and trying and stressing this group of people living together, showering on a schedule every other day. Yeah. And it did. As we go through through the book of Philippians, I want to give you a quick outline, and then I want to work through some of the, what I think are some of the practical aspects that we kind of tell the story of the book. You'll see several practical pieces emerge. Let me give you an overview first. In four chapters, uh, Philippians has been called the legs of the Christian life. In chapter 1, Philippians is said to be Christ our life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, in verse, I think it's verse 21, that um, um, for me to live is Christ. Oh, what does he mean by that? Well, as he describes a little bit more in the rest of the book, we see what he means by that in chapter 1, Christ my life, that, that he steps into this, uh, this uh, living out the mind of Christ in the midst of his life decisions. So chapter 1, Christ my life. Chapter 2, Christ my example. Life, example, Christ my example. He says in chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You see, the whole purpose of the deepest theology in the New Testament is not that we would know something spectacular and beyond our comprehension about Christ. We are supposed to know that. But the reason we're supposed to know that is he said, let this be in you. The essence of humanity is a humility that would give myself in service to others. That would willingly lay down my life for others' sakes because I hold it in an open hand. I don't cling on to it. I hold it in an open hand because I can trust God with it. Because at the end of that humility chapter, that humility section, what does it say? Therefore has God highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not, Not to his own glory. There's the aim of humanity. For us to rule and reign as as God's regents, as those made in God's image upon the earth, to represent him to, to all of creation. But to do that in humility, not using and 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 having others serve us, to be served for our sakes, 
No, but to give ourselves in the same pattern, the same mind as Jesus did. There's the call. It's a call to humility that drives that theology. But that's only chapter 2. I, I, I got to move on. Life, Christ our life, Christ our example. Chapter 3, Christ our sufficiency. No, Christ our goal. Sorry, sufficiency is coming up. Christ our goal in chapter 3. What is the goal in life? Oh, there's many ambitions, many achievements. But Paul says this one thing. I do. Forgetting those things, those other things, all those achievements in life, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on for those things which are ahead, I press on, I strive after laying hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He says that I may know him above anything else in life, that I might know my God and my Savior. And we will not know him by learning of him, merely. We will know him by stepping into that mind of Christ so that we might say something like what Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. I live out that mind of Christ in the decisions, in the choices that I make. We'll show some of those in just a minute. But the reason we can do that, the reason we can say that Christ is our goal is because Christ is also our sufficiency. What do I need, really? We got a taste of that. Our team got a taste of that this last week. You know, I, I, was, I, I, I was thinking, when I got back here at 11 p.m. on Monday night and I climbed in my car that Daniel had driven to pick me up and, and I got to drive my car again after being in other cars and some taxis and things during the week, and I got back in my car and it's a, it's a 2002. But I said to myself, this is a really nice car. You know, when you're, when you're feeling like, oh, I really need a new car. Tell you what, save yourself a pile of money. Instead of spending several thousand dollars on a newer car, just go to Mexico for a few days. And then you will come back and you'll say, this is really a great car. Yeah. Christ, our sufficiency. Jesus is enough. Sufficient for the, for the stuff of life that comes so that Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is enough. Oh, he says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Everything that we really need is there. Oh, we are so easily distracted, aren't we? We are so easily distracted by all the other stuff around us, all the shiny stuff. We went to a market. Somebody pointed out to me, shiny stuff? How easily we're drawn there. Look, silver. Ooh, 0.925 silver. That's the good stuff. Ooh. No, really? I can confidently say, unlike some of the people on my team, I brought no silver back. Silver and gold have I none. Yeah, okay, enough bragging, moving on. <laughs> Christ is our, our life. Christ is our example. He knows what it is to be human like us. Christ is our goal, oh, to know him, to press toward him. Instead of other things that distract, Christ himself is enough for us. So in the midst of Philippians... With that as a framework, with that as a background, as you read through, let me point out some of those practical things. I said that, that the book of Philippians addresses decisions. What do I do? 
What do I do in this case or that? And, and, and Paul prays that for these believers in chapter 1 and verse 10. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. He prays for them that you may approve or that you may choose and step into what is more excellent, that you might choose the best so that you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. His goal is their future perfection. As Steve said earlier, perfecto. That's his goal for them. And so he says to to arrive there, to step into that here, I'm praying that you would choose what is better. Well, the apostle himself faced choices. Here he is in a Roman prison. He's writing the, the Philippians from Rome. And he doesn't know if he's going to be released. Well, he knows he's going to be released. He just doesn't know if it's going to be out the door or by way of the executioner. He doesn't know. He says, I don't even know which I would choose. He says, to depart and to be with Christ. Oh, there's the assurance of what happens after death. To depart and to be with Christ, he says, that would be better. Better than the stuff of life. Better even than continuing on in a Roman prison. Better even than being released and going back and continuing to minister to these Philippian Christians whom he has such a warm bond of fellowship. To be with the Lord is even better. And yet, he says, to remain on in the flesh with all of its discomforts and aches. Can I get an amen? Yeah, or a groan at least. To remain on in the flesh, he said, is more needful for you. And so knowing that, knowing that, he says, that's what I'll choose. That's where I'll go. You see that in verses 21, 22, in that, in that part of chapter 1, that, that he determines then because it's more needful to them, he is going to continue and remain with them. He's confident that's the way the Lord's going to do it because that is what's best for their spiritual growth and advancement. Paul says, it isn't about me. And he gives us a glimpse at how we make decisions. Do I make decisions based on what I want? Do I make decisions based on my, my perceived needs? What's going to be best for me? Or do I lay my needs aside? Do I hold those in open hand, my preferences, and say, what is it that my brothers and sisters most need? And that's where I'll go. Choices, decisions that we make, to make them for ourselves or to step into the life of Christ when we make them. It's a matter of priorities. Look at verse 25 of chapter 1. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's what matters more. Priorities, what I choose to focus on. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation, fellowship, sharing together in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, any, he says, then complete my joy by being of that same mind. Complete my joy. By being of the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count each other more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Choices, decisions based on priorities. 
having this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now we step into that theological passage. Now we step into that great sacrifice passage, which I think is the core of the epistle. Everything else hangs on it. Paul is living that out in this book. And he says that's the key for us to live Christianly in this world. Christianly isn't a matter of what you do on Sunday morning merely and how you behave and the things you do and the things that you do not do. To live Christianly, to live this Christian life, to be able to live for me to live as Christ is to live out that mind of Christ in my life, in my decisions, in my choices, in my priorities. I saw that in the team this last week. Over and over again, I saw people willing to do whatever was asked of them. To step right up. They, they were organized. The Evans had a list and they had different people on, on preparation. They had different people for cleanup on Sunday mornings. Or, or rather each, each morning of the week before we would go out. Before we'd hit the, hit, hit the vehicles or the, the, uh, uh, one of the men from the church would come by and get us in his car each day. A few of us that would fit in. He had to work all day but wanted to participate together. And so that was the part he could do. And uh, we sometimes as well used a taxi or two to, to get it before. But, before the early trek from house to church, there's, there's cleanup to do. And it wasn't merely a matter of whose name's on the list. It was a matter of just stepping up. What needs to be done? Whether it come to breaking concrete or carrying it, what needs to be done? And over and over, I've seen people step up and just do it. Laura, Laura Evans, every morning, was up. I think she was the first one out of bed most mornings. And she's there in the kitchen again. And, you know, with, with um, 16 house guests, it's, how, is this, uh, how is this woman with a, at least two-year-old, is that right? With a two-year-old besides, how is she getting any sleep at all? And let over and over again, morning by morning, she is giving herself for us. We do this in very practical ways, this sacrifice for the sake of others. Paul demonstrates it. Okay, chapter 2 is the core of the epistle. Chapter 2, he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? This mind of sacrifice. This mind of giving yourself. This mind of not holding on to your own, but of holding an open hand. What does that look like? Well, Paul's an example of himself, although he does not draw attention to himself. But look at chapter 2, verses 17. Verse 7, he says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you. He says, I'm ready. I'm willing to be poured out for you. There's an example of that sacrifice. He mentions Timothy. He sends Timothy. They're concerned about him, and so he sends Timothy to them. He sends Timothy at loss to himself. He'd rather keep Timothy there. He's in prison. It's nice to have somebody to look after you. It's nice to have somebody to bring you things that you need like food. You weren't necessarily well cared for in a Roman prison. And yet he sends Timothy to them so that he might explain things and let them know, reassure them of how things are going. And he says concerning Timothy, look at what characterized Timothy. Verse 20, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. What a testimony of this man's character. Oh, oh, that somebody would be able to say of me or of you. 
I can't think of anybody else I could send you like them who will genuinely care for you first, who will generally seek for you the things of Christ even at their own cost. What a testimony of how we would give ourselves to others. Another example of that is, is this man, Epaphroditus. We, we don't know a whole lot about Epaphroditus, but Epaphroditus, I call him FedEx. They had taken a collection. Actually, they'd done this a few times before. They'd taken a collection at the church and of funds they wanted to support Paul in his ministry. And now he's in prison, and then, so they're gathering a collection, providing for his needs. But they're in Philippi, and Paul's in Rome. And there's quite some distance between the two. And there is no UPS. Brown can do nothing for Paul. There is no FedEx except there's Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is willing. And I think he he flew United. Because they're sitting in the cabin crammed into coach with the air circulating, circulating, and recirculating. Everybody gets sick and because Epaphroditus on that journey got sick. He was willing to be the one to carry the gift at danger to himself. And also, it seems like exhaustion to himself in that journey. Because he got sick. He got sick in the process near to death. He was willing to spend and be spent, as Paul says later. Verse 30 of chapter 2. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking or needed in your service to me. He was the finisher to deliver it to me. And he was willing to risk his life to do it. Pouring out our lives, being willing to take loss upon ourselves for the sake of others. That's the example that's found here in chapter 2. The core of the Christian life is sacrifice, not achievement. Chapter 3 talks about achievement. It talks about those who pursue other goals, who want to accomplish things, who want to make a name for themselves. And yet Paul says, I count all of that as rubbish, as garbage. I have no confidence in those things of the flesh, those things of physical life. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like you're supposed to be according to the law. I was of the people of Israel. I was of God's people, not merely a Gentile of the nations. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Why is Benjamin special? Benjamin was the only tribe that stayed loyal to Judah, when all the other ten tribes split away, Benjamin stayed close. Paul was first named Saul. There was another Saul that came from the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel that Paul was apparently named for. He was somebody. His family had great hopes and ambitions for him in his Jewish tradition. As to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. Nobody kept it better than us. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I went after this thing. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I kept every, every jot, every tittle, every requirement. I did it all. Nobody could find something against me until he looked inside his own heart and found it there. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That doesn't mean you have to throw everything else in life away. But what it does mean, if there's anything else that you lean on, 
If there's anything else that you cling to other than your acceptance before God, purely and solely because of Jesus Christ, you're leaning on the wrong thing. You're leaning on what Paul calls rubbish. He says, it's garbage. It's worthless. I count all of that as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. What do you depend on for your acceptance before God? I say this not as a guilt trip. I say this as a freeing thing. I want us to go out of here with a skip this morning. One of our guys, well, I've given it away 50% already. One of our guys on the trip in the airport, it was so embarrassing. He would go skipping down the, the walkway thing, you know, and it's like, stop that, I'm with you. <sighs> He's a happy guy. Had a spring in his step. And what I do want you to have and share with us this morning is that spring of freedom in your step that comes out of, I'm not working this on my own. I'm not trying to keep up. I'm not trying to earn my way. I'm not trying to fill squares. I'm not trying to hold it all together. My God is holding it all together by the word of his power. By the declaration of his acceptance of me in Christ, a righteousness before God that comes from him, that he gives me based solely on Christ. Jesus is enough. That's where I'll rest. That's what I'll cling to. And I will not let the enemy, when he whispers in my ear about all my failings and all my insecurities and all my gifts, I'll stand there like Martin Luther and I'll say, that's right, everybody, you don't even know the half of it. And yet, Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus covered all of that and more and more. There is my acceptance. There is my achievement. And you know, when my achievement's there, when my achievement's in him instead of in me, I can be a lot less defensive when conflict might come. And it does come, doesn't it? I know we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and we all just get along so well. But it's been said. You know, I was actually surprised. I was hoping for a little more conflict on the team, frankly. You know, I wanted to be able to draw that out and meddle with that a little bit. You know, be able to show how that happens on the mission field too, because it does. But our team was just, just pretty good there. Maybe we needed more time, I don't know, a little more pressure. A little less showers maybe, I'm not sure, but something could have helped. But conflict is, is the... One of the lead personal, interpersonal conflicts, one of the leading causes why missionaries leave the field. It's also one of the leading causes why people leave a particular church and go somewhere else. Rather than resolve that conflict one to another. And you see, if, I, if, if, if my focus about me is on me, well, what others think of me and what they say of me, how they look upon me becomes very important to me. But if my rest is in Christ... I don't have to worry about their poor vision. If they look at me and merely see me, well, that's something we'll have to work on with them. Because they need to see me. You need to see me. I need to see me as in Christ. Fully accepted in him. Oh, imperfecto, very much. 
and yet fully accepted in Christ and to see my brother and my sister the same way. Misunderstandings come, don't they? They will come. Look at chapter 4. Concluding this epistle, and I think, by the way, this is why the epistle's written. I don't think it's because Paul wants to say thank you to the church. I don't think so. I don't think it's because he really wants to get that deep theology of chapter 2 off his chest. I think that just leaks out of Paul at this, at this point. I don't think it's because he wants to have a letter that's all about joy. I didn't think he sat down and wrote Philippians because he wanted us to understand joy, although joy permeates it. I think he knew there were two ladies who were dear to him in the church of Philippi who were at loggerheads with each other. They had come to conflict together. And he wanted to lay the foundation for how they could come together again. That would have to be outside of themselves. It would have to be focused around Christ. Because it's not about us, it's about him. So look in chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Yodia. And I entreat, or I beg, I urge, I plead with Syntyche to agree in the Lord. To come together, to agree together. That's the thrust there. That they are apart and they need to be together. They need to be of that one mind. They need to have that mind of Christ in them, which is also in Christ Jesus. Yes, I, also, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. These are our sisters. Let's help them to reconcile. That's the issue of the book. Conflict comes. Conflict will come. What will we do when it comes? First of all, It easily comes with little cause. People will have things come up. The example was mentioned about the Cornavaca church and then that there was a conflict there. It was a personal thing. And uh, some people up and left. Recently, in my own experience, a conflict arose. And uh, to some extent, it's still there. It hasn't been resolved yet. I hope that it will be. And somebody else came to me and had heard, had seen some distance, and, and, and talked to the other person and asked why. And the other person explained something. Well, this happened, and Bob did this. And they said, you know, that to me, that just didn't seem like, because we'd had an exchange previously, and you hadn't reacted that way. It didn't, it, it didn't seem right. And, and as they reported this to me, I could have gone two ways with it. I could have gone... Why, that dirty rat? That ain't so. That ain't the way it happened. Let me tell you how it happened, by golly. Oh, boy. No. The other way I could have gone with it is, said, you know, this isn't my opportunity. That's, that's his perception. That is not what I meant or, if I recall, even said. And yet that's his walking perception at this time. But having heard my brother, I, I, I remember that very differently from how this person said you described it. I think we must be talking past each other. This is an opportunity not for me to defend myself. This is an opportunity for me to, to come as close as I can 
and say, I think we're talking past each other here. Let's talk again. Let's have somebody with us if we need to to make sure that we hear one another so that we will not be at odds together. Conflict will come. But let's not hold it personal. Let's not guard ourselves. Let's instead make ourselves vulnerable that we might be joined in Christ who emptied himself for us. You know, the other key to conflict is actually at the end of this book, and that's contentment. If I'm content, if I'm not at war striving and pressing and pursuing, then conflicts are harder to come by and much easier to resolve. Because it's all ready. It's all open. Everything is on the table. What will it take? I'm amazed at, at how open Paul is, even to those who are proclaiming the gospel with the worst of motives. But he doesn't fault them. They're proclaiming the gospel. And for that, he'll rejoice. He'll find what he can rejoice in. And his contentment is this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am confident that God will provide all that I need so that I am content. I've learned how to, how to get by with very little. I've learned how to get by with very, very much. I've learned how to be base. I've learned how to abound. That's the content for I can do all things. Have little or have a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We live in a world. We live in a culture. We live in an environment of sales and striving. We live in an environment that is intent on convincing you that you should not be content. And in the midst of that, God tells us that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough. And, and when we'll get beyond our own borders a little bit, beyond our own boundaries, into the lives of others, we will find, as we come close to others in their difficulty, in their trouble, whether it's here or whether it's in Mexico, as we go a little farther afield, we'll find His grace is enough. That the Lord Himself actually is enough. That all this other stuff doesn't matter nearly as much as I think that it does. Do I have enough reputation? What others think of me? My cars. Talked about the cars. You know, as I read Paul, Paul wrote in some rickety old ships. Did you ever count the number of shipwrecks he describes? Must have rode in some rickety old ships. And there he rode. Food. Am I content with the food that's set before me? Am I content with the people that God has set around me? Do I want to be in the in crowd? Am I content with the work that he's given me to do? No, I won't do that. Yeah, that needs doing, but somebody else could do that. I'm not going to do that. Or rather, will I give myself to where do I see a need? Where could I step in? Let me give you one more example of this. And it involves money. That's appropriate, actually. We're going to receive the offering here in just a moment or two. So this is a good place to start here. I hadn't planned to do this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I hadn't checked with our finance team, but that's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, we'll have an elders meeting tomorrow. You can fire me then. <laughs> the Rosenbrocks, another one of our mission families. 
they, their house flooded while they were away for about a week. The bottom basement flooded, you know, damage to the walls, damage to the flooring, damage to furnishings. And they've been working through that. They've been pressing along and, and uh, trying to recover. And there's a lot of expense involved in that. They've, they haven't, that I've seen, that I recall, they haven't once asked, could you please help us? Could you please send us some money? And I'd like to encourage you to do that. We're going to receive our offering in just a minute. And if you can be content with a little less this week, what if we were to give? What if we were to use those envelopes that are in front of the pews? What, write Rosenbrock on them. And just knowing what you know, there, there was a flood. Their stuff was damaged. It wasn't their, their, their malfeasance and, and uh, errors that led to the way. They are given the best they can of themselves in that place in Montana to minister there. And yet, these troubles happen. Could we join in? Could we bear one another's burdens? And uh, I'll go so far as to if you came and... and you were prepared to contribute to the church offering this morning, and yet the Lord is telling you, I should give part of this that way. I really want to. This is all I have, but I want to contribute there. I want to partner together in the gospel with them. Go ahead and do that. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Let's, let's step into our contentment. Let's step into our sacrifice by meeting the need of someone else. Would you pray with me? Father, even as those come forward now to receive this morning's offering, as we prepare ourselves and as we give something to it, Lord, would you use it? Father, would you use it in ways that we might not even imagine, but to bring you and your son glory? And Father, would you use the giving of it in ways that we might not even imagine to change us. Oh, Lord, we want to step into that life of Christ. We want to open ourselves up to trusting you, even in our humility, giving of ourselves. We would boldly declare to you this morning that our goal, more than anything else, is to know Christ, even through sacrifice, because he he himself is enough for us. Oh, Lord, work that into our hearts. Even in this little step, use it for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.